Welcome to The Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue our reading in John with John chapter 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there for a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. 
you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures, because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. Our text today actually brings us back to Jerusalem. Jesus had been there earlier in the book already for the celebration of the Passover or the Feast of Unleavened Bread, after which he departed, he went up towards Galilee, and now he's made his return for another of the Jewish feasts. There are three Jewish feasts that would require Jewish men to make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices at the temple. There's the Passover, which is the first month of the year. The Passover is the the 14th day, and then the 15th through the 21st that follows that, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, reminder of the Passover and the Exodus account, the 10th plague in Egypt. The Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost as we know it today, is the next one of the three. And with this, the day after you would start the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so the 16th day of the first month, you would offer up the first sheaf from the barley harvest. Fifty days from the lifting up of that sheaf is the celebration of Pentecost. Again, Feast of Weeks, because it's seven weeks of seven days, and it's the day that follows. The third is the Feast of Booths, which also remembers the Exodus account, this time, though, the wilderness wanderings, as they wandered about in the wilderness for 40 years, and the Lord provided for them while they lived in booths, or tents, as we would call them. This is the seventh month from the 15th until the 21st day of the month. So, probably not Passover, although it could be. We don't have a full set of chronology here. We're going to see that in chapter 6. So there's going to be some more travel tomorrow as we get the text, and that will bring us back to Passover. 
but this seems more likely to be, so, you know, almost two months later for the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, or close to six months later for the Feast of Booths. So some time has passed, although we can't say for certain how much. The account, then, is going to take us to the the Sheep Gate, which is on the northern edge of the temple, where sheep would be let in for sacrifice. And it has a name, this pool that's there, Bethesda, which is Aramaic for the House of Grace. And it has five roofed colonnades, colonnades, and with these you're basically thinking covered porches, so pillars that are covered over, so providing shade perhaps to those who are in them. And in this pool, by this pool, under the, the colonnades, you have a multitude, we're not told exactly how many, but that's a lot, of invalids, people who have various physical ailments that prevent them from being able to do your normal kind of work. So they're blind, they can't see, they're lame, so they can't walk, or they're paralyzed. So that's worse than not just being able to walk, but perhaps to the point where you can't even use your hands either. Now, notice that verse 4 is missing. We skip from 3 to 5. Most English Bibles will have the footnote and tell you what verse 4 is. So verse 4 adds some context. It's in some manuscripts, but not others. Let me go ahead and read this. Some manuscripts insert wholly or in part. Waiting for the moving of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. So, not clear if that's original to the text or not. Uh, Seems not would be why it's in the footnote rather than actually included in the text that you would read in your Bible. But it makes sense. It helps describe the situation at hand, which is probably why it got added later on, uh, would be one way to look at that. Now, Jesus is here, and he sees this man who's been an invalid for 38 years. It doesn't say right necessarily what that invalidity is, but he can't, he can't help himself. And so he can't, whenever the angel stirs the pool, he can't race down to the waters, get in, and be healed. Nor does he have anyone close to him, you know, a relative who might sit by him, who would rush him to the water to dip him in and heal him. He's just been stuck there. He has this distant glimmer of hope that maybe, somehow, someday, it could be him. And Jesus is going to take that glimmer of hope and make it reality, not just in the sense of healing his invalid, invalid, uh, invalidity, but actually healing him fully. Faith. He makes him well. He reveals himself to him, makes known to him the very Son of God. We are all invalid in that way that we don't know God and we are doomed for destruction. We are dead in our trespasses. Christ has rescued us. He has healed us. So it seems like perhaps this is a true miraculous account, not in the sense of what Jesus did, right? But uh, what I mean by that is that missing verse from verse 4. 
that the Lord actually may indeed have been sending an angel on occasion to stir this pool and bring healing. That's why they were calling it the house of grace, was that healing would happen there. So Jesus heals him, has him take up his bed. That's going to cause some trouble because it's the Sabbath day. The Jews get angry with him for carrying his bed on the Sabbath. Now, don't think of this like your own bed, you know, your bed at home, um, but a pallet, uh, a mat, something that could perhaps be rolled up, picked up and carried, almost like we might think of a sleeping bag, or a, I mean, a yoga mat, for that matter, something of that kind of a nature, something smaller. But it's considered work to carry it on the Sabbath. And so he's getting in trouble with them, but he says the man who healed him is the one that told him to do this. And so they ask who that was. He doesn't know, but Jesus comes to him. Jesus finds him later in the temple. We're not told what he's doing in the temple. We can imagine he's perhaps there praising God and thanking God for what God has just done for him. And this is where Jesus makes himself known, instructs the man to not sin any longer. He's not freed him from his infirmity so that he may go out and do whatever he wants. He warns him with that, that nothing worse may happen to you. You might ask your children, what could be worse than being unable to move? The answer that's death. And not just physical death here and now, but a permanent death. This man had 38 years of basically not being able to move. Hell is worse. So the warning from Jesus is to keep that in mind. So we learn from John in verses 16 through 18, perhaps most easily and clearly here, that Jesus is persecuted by the Jews. They have sought to kill him because he has worked on the Sabbath and he has even called God his own father. So he's breaking their understanding of God's law, and he's made himself out to be God. And John said this clear out in chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. So he is. And for this reason, they don't believe him and they seek to kill him. The rest of the text is going to get in that direction. So Jesus is going to speak to the Jews who are trying to harm him, and he's going to teach them where his authority comes from. Essentially, he's going to teach here that he copies. He imitates the Father and what the Father does. So with this healing, for instance, Jesus has just imitated. He has done what the Father has done. He has healed this man. So the Father shows him, the Son does it. But greater things will yet be done so that the people will marvel. This is Philippians 2, perhaps, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is going to do greater things, like, you know, say, on three days after the temple is destroyed, rebuilding it, as a reference to his resurrection from the dead, that his own body is the temple. That's certainly one, the ascension. I mean, greater miracles still yet to come. Healing the 38-year invalid is impressive. Feeding the 5,000? 
be another good example, and others yet still. But he himself will mention the resurrection of the dead. The Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also will the Son. What a miracle the resurrection will be when Christ raises us and gathers us to be with him in paradise. Father judges no one but has given judgment to the Son. That's no longer copying and imitating, although you could say that the Father has taught the Son how. I suppose if he wanted to. But Jesus is set up to judge the earth. The chapter today is going to end in that direction. Jesus will actually say it's not, it's not Jesus that accuses. John 3, 17, that God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save it. It's not Jesus that accuses, it's Moses. Why is it Moses? Moses gave the law. If you want to be saved by your own works, by your own doing, you have to keep the law perfectly, and so the law always accuses. The law kills. We'll come back to that here. First, though, Jesus talks about honoring the Father by honoring the Son. And there's going to be several statements along those lines in this chapter um, that if you receive Christ, you receive the one who sent him, you receive the Father. He'll talk that way about the disciples too. If you receive the disciple who goes in Jesus' name, you've also received Jesus. And then if you've received Jesus, you've also received the Father. Why? Because the disciple points you to Christ. Christ points you to the Father. Jesus reconciles us to God, our Father. And that means we have eternal life. We get to live with Jesus forever. Passed from death to life. We were dead, but he's raised us. An hour is coming and is now here. The judgment of God is already at hand. The dead will hear the voice of God, and those who hear will live. Dead here, perhaps referring to the idea of unbelief, not knowing Christ, and yet they will hear, that is, Gentiles will have Christ shared with them, and they will come to faith. But pushing towards the end of this, this paragraph here, verse 28, uh, might encourage us to simply take it as, as it's written, uh, literally dead ones that are in the grave, in the tomb, that they will also be raised, they will come out like Lazarus is called out, but permanently uh, at the resurrection on the last day, and that there will be some raised to life while others are raised to judgment. Notice everybody's raised. Last day, everybody is raised, not just believers. Believers and unbelievers alike, and we are raised to come before the throne of God, at which point, Matthew 25, Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats, those of us who have believed and served our king, and we will be welcomed into paradise. We will live with Christ forever. There is no life, though, apart from Christ. So those who have rejected him, those who do not believe in Christ, they are raised, but to judgment. And that hour has already come. Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in him. Look at that as life-giving. The Father breathes out the breath of life, so Christ restores life to us. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. Good conversation point here, maybe, that all that Jesus does comes from the Father. So, to our children, did Jesus do whatever he wanted with his life here? No, he did the will of the Father. What does that mean for our family? So we think about being parents to our children or children to our parents. What does that mean for how we interact? What does it mean for our faith? 
that we're not supposed to just do whatever we want here in this place. But like Christ laid down his life for his friends, like he came not to be served but to serve, so are we called to take up our cross and follow him. You get a bit about bearing witness in the rest of this section. Deuteronomy 17 verse 6 talks about how, sorry, 16, talks about how two or three witnesses are required in order to condemn a person to death. So the Old Testament practice of requiring two or three witnesses is significant. Jesus said if it was only his own witness about himself, it would be not true. But they've had a witness about him in John the Baptist, and then he'll also point here to the Father being a witness about him as well. So there's your three uh, that are being talked about in this section. Jesus is doing the works his Father has given him to do, but the people don't know the Father because they don't know Christ. Again, if you haven't received Jesus, you have not received the Father. But if you have received Jesus, you have received the Father. Jesus' glory does not come from man. His glory comes from his Father. His Father is the one who lifts him up, ultimately lifted him up upon the cross that all of creation would look to him for forgiveness, life, and salvation, and then lifted him up from the dead and lifted him up again into heaven to glorify us, to lift up. The Father has glorified the Son indeed. All right, so we are out of time. Again, this ends with the idea that Moses is the giver of the law, and so they have tried to save themselves by their works. They have set their hope on living perfect lives, but they failed. And if they had truly believed what Moses had written, they would recognize in it Jesus because everything in the scriptures points to Christ. The Old Testament points to Jesus. But since they didn't see that then, how will they see it now? There's nothing new under the sun. Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you can't tell from the Old Testament, nor will you be able to tell even if he's standing right there in front of you.